Good morning. My name is Alex McLeod, and I'm one of the pastors here at Courtright. So this morning we lit the candle of joy, and we're going to reflect now in the sermon time on that theme. What is joy? How do we receive joy? And we're going to do that by looking at one of the songs we sing a lot, we hear a lot at this time of year. We love our Christmas carols, don't we? And I think especially coming out of two and a half, three years of pandemic, they are like comfort food to us, to be back together, to be singing them together. But how well do we know these Christmas carols that we love? How often do we stop and really consider the words that we sing? How often do we dig into the scripture that they're based upon? So we're going to have the chance to do that with a few Christmas carols between now and Christmas Day. This morning, it's joy to the world, and Psalm 98 forms the basis for that Christmas carol. But before we open our Bibles and read from the Psalms, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come among us and to illuminate your word. Our own understanding, our own minds, our cognition, our reading comprehension, our analysis can only get us so far. In fact, not very far at all. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you. And in the silence now, it's not just me praying. All of us in the silence ask, Spirit, for your guidance, your wisdom. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. We're reading from Psalm 98, the whole of the psalm. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the, sing the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. And then from Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. 
For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, the McLeods, my family, come from Scotland. I've talked about this before, I think. <laughs> my great-grandfather was born on the island of Lewis in the very northwest of Scotland, sometimes called the Outer Hebrides. And we still have family there, and I've visited them a few times over the years. Once Judith and the kids, we all went. Worship is different over there. I recall as a teenager feeling like the service would never end. Okay, maybe it feels that way sometimes here too. But on the island of Lewis, worship went for two hours, sometimes more. And we spent a lot of it standing up. So you don't have it so bad, right? <laughs> but the music is what stands out in my memory. They sang the Psalms in Gaelic with no instruments. Did you notice how things changed as our musical worship team led us in singing Come Lord Jesus as the instruments toned down and we heard our voices a little more clearly? Imagine singing with no instruments. There was a man who would lead the singing, like chanting, that's what it sounded like to me, and everyone would follow along in response. It was beautiful. A few hundred years ago, that's what church music was like all over the place. Christians would sing the Psalms word for word from Scripture. After all, the Psalms are meant to be sung. The book of Psalms is really a songbook. It's designed for worship. But a man named Isaac Watts came along in the 18th century and changed the way we sang worship songs. Watts has been called the father of English hymn writing. Before him, every hymn sung in the Protestant churches of Great Britain was based on a psalm. Watts broke away from that tradition and started drawing from other parts of Scripture, especially the New Testament. Really, he put Jesus into our church music. Watts wrote 750 hymns. There is no hymn writer in the English language who has influenced our music as much as Isaac Watts. In 719, Watts wrote a great poem, and then 30 years later, George Frederick Handel put music to it. It was a poem that brought together the longings and prophecy of the Old Testament and that found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. 
Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. And so this Christmas carol, it starts with the word joy. Now, Isaac Watts knew his Greek, and he knew that the word joy is a very important word in the New Testament. Chara, or kara, is the Greek word for joy. Now, some of us have other associations with the name chara. You might recognize this Slovakian Goliath who retired just a few months ago at the tender age of 45 after playing 1,652 games in the National Hockey League, the most ever played by a defenseman. Now, whether you cheer for Toronto or for Montreal, Zdeno Chara, the six-foot-nine former captain of the Boston Bruins, does not bring you joy. He brought mostly pain over 24 seasons. No joy except for Harold Atkinson, the only Boston fan that we've allowed into our fellowship <laughs> at Courtright. I think, I think. I'm talking to you, Harold. I know you're out there. Regarding Chara bringing pain, can I get an amen from the Leafs fans? And from the Habs fans? You see, the lions will lie down with the lambs. It's a little glimpse of heaven, Justin and me singing the same song. But in Chara, in Greek, Chara also means grace. So the word Chara is the root for the Greek word charis, from which we get our English word grace. And that's a word that appears later in this Christmas carol. Joy in Greek literally means surprise. And joy is a good surprise. And grace you can think of as a good surprise of love. We don't earn it. It is unmerited. And when we pause and take the time, we find it, we should find it astonishing. But love still comes to us. It's grace. We get that in relationships, don't we? We know how we let people down. We get that from friends, from family. For Christians, most of all, we receive the gift of God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ. And that's a gift that overshadows every other gift at this time of year. So you could think of this carol as beginning with surprise to the world. The Lord is come. Not will come, but is come. During Advent, and we've talked about this already in the last few weeks, we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're waiting but it's like a reenactment, because we know Jesus has already come. And so we sing, let earth receive her king, knowing he is here now. And that's important if 
God, through Jesus Christ, is going to prevail over the other powerful forces around us. Forces that we might come to believe determine our lives and not see what's really going on with the eyes of faith. We are drawn into that faith as we sing to our Lord and King in the words of this Christmas carol. And even heaven and nature acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. Everyone knows it. Actually, if you think about it, heaven and nature really covers most of the world. And we saw in Psalm 98, everything in nature worships God. The rivers clap their hands. The mountains sing together for joy. Listen for that the next time you walk along the banks of the Grand River, the Speed River, or the Aramosa. And that's actually a good reason to get off our screens and to go down to the river to walk and to pray. And then there's the heavens. They resound with the praise of countless angels. That's what the Bible tells us. So you don't have to settle for a modern world in which the heavens are empty and nature is cold and uncreated and does not reflect and return to the beauty of a God who loves you. Psalm 98 and joy to the world invite us to be faithful as our creator is faithful, to turn back to him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, another psalm calls to us. Let heaven and nature sing. Let every heart prepare him room. And so we should prepare our hearts for the coming of the king. Now, if a king came to visit you in your home, you would make room for the king. Of course, you're going to make room for a king. My daughter, Chloe, isn't quite sure yet about King Charles. She's not really a fan. But if he were to drop by our place later this week, I think she might sit up and pay attention. I know she would. The line in Joy to the World that references making room, preparing room, is a reference to Joseph and Mary coming to Bethlehem and finding there was no room, or at least not the room they expected. There was some room, but it was different from how they thought it would be. That could be true of your heart. Life has not gone the way you expected. It has not worked out as you'd planned. The disappointments, the sadness. But maybe the door is opening just a crack. Right now. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is jumping the fence and sneaking in the back. But... I want to encourage you to not just wait for it to happen. Joy, joy doesn't come quite like that. Make room for him because the king is here. Prepare him room. The second stanza of this Christmas carol begins, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Now, those are religious words, right? We sang them earlier, but it's, it's strange. I don't know if you have this experience when I'm wandering through Stone Road Mall or in the waiting room as, as we're all rushing around, trying to get things done, seeking our satisfaction elsewhere, we hear Christmas carols and 
Do we stop and ask what these words mean? No, I don't think we do for the most part. But words like Savior and salvation come down simply to being safe, to feeling safe. And we know how important that is, especially for children. We have that in view in a particular way at this time of year as we try to make Christmas special for our kids, our grandkids, the children in our lives. As children, our parents safeguarded us if they were doing their jobs. As adults, safety is more complicated. We look for safety and salvation in lots of different places. But Psalm 98 and Isaac Watts' hymn say that only God can provide true and ultimate safety. In him alone are we going to be able to find the significance and the salvation we crave. Now, let's be honest about this. It may not be all that comforting to you, even if you come to see that God exists, unless you know something more about God. Because just to know that someone with all the authority, all the power in the universe is there, is real, may not appeal to you if you don't trust him. And I think many people have an innate consciousness of God, but they don't like God, and so they lose touch with their awareness of God. They may even hate God, and so they turn away from him. But what if you could become convinced that the ultimate power behind the universe was on your side, was in your favor, wanted the best for you, was God who loves you, who saves you, and who promises to never leave you or abandon you. Now that's the kind of safety that could change your life. And so we continue in this amazing Christmas song, let men their songs employ, it says. All the fields, the floods, the rocks, and floods here just means a body of water. The rocks, the hills and plains pick up the song. There's a swelling chorus. And that's why we love to have this room full of people. That's why we long for the day when those of you watching online will return or maybe come for the first time. That's one of many reasons why we're excited to be together this Christmas Eve for the first time in three years. And all the Leaf fans and all the Hab fans said, amen. amen. And Harold Atkinson, I hope, said amen too. Because when we come together, we repeat, we repeat the sounding joy. We share that joy. And we do that as a response to a God who is not only powerful, all-powerful, but also a God who is good. He's worth everything, and he has come close to us, we believe, with the birth of Jesus. He has chosen to love us. That is what brings joy. In the third stanza, we come to the crisis of what this Christmas Carol invites us into. It's often true of great poems and great hymns that the third stanza is where we encounter the crisis. 
And it's no accident that these lines are the ones that are often left out when people sing Joy to the World, from Mariah Carey and Boney M to Nat King Cole and even Sufjan Stevens. They all skip this third stanza. So why? Why would they do that? Because it takes the darkness seriously. And we want to avoid the darkness. We're in denial about the darkness. Our reading from Isaiah 9 takes the darkness seriously too. Isaiah points us to the coming Messiah, but it's not all joy and sunshine. No, it starts with a people walking in darkness, a people weighed down by adversity. Those are the people who hear the good news. Those are the people to whom God sends hope. And so Isaac Watts writes, No more let sins and sorrows grow. I want to ask you this morning, what's growing in your life right now? Is bitterness growing? Are you becoming more self-preoccupied as you grow older? Or are you becoming more generous? Are you more frightened? Are you more angry? What's happening in your relationships with your friends as you move from your teens into your 20s? as you move from adulthood into middle age, into retirement and beyond? What's happening in your community, in your marriage, in your family, in your church? Are righteousness and health growing? What if sin and sorrows are what is really growing? What if thorns are infesting the ground of your life? And they do and they will, but the Christian message is that that doesn't need to happen. Bitterness does not need to grow in your heart. There is a solution for fear, for the bitterness to which all of us are tempted at times. And Isaac Watts identifies it. He says, no more. And I wish in a way we could stop as we sing Joy to the World and just shout that, to shout no more over all the darkness that could grow in our hearts. To know that God himself in Jesus Christ says it does not need to grow. Thanks to Jesus making his blessings flow far as the curse is found, we can have the freedom of this joy that the candle we lit this morning points to. There is no dark corner in our world or in your life, where the lordship of Christ and his salvation cannot reach. You see how these three stanzas we come through work together? From the lordship of Jesus in the first one to his safety and salvation in the second, we come to the no more of this third stanza. From God's character to the change and transformation and healing he can bring, far as the curse is found. Nowhere and no one is beyond his love. Have you given up on a situation in your life right now? Are you losing hope for someone you've been praying for? Listen, he comes to make his blessings flow. And so when you feel bitterness or anger springing up, ask God for help. When situations come along that seem hopeless, 
he invites us to wait on him and to pray. God can turn bitterness into joy and angry words, conflict into healing words and peace. My wife, Judith, tells the story of a Sunday school teacher she had when she was just a child. Her name was Fern. She had terrible arthritis, and she struggled to walk, and she couldn't use her hands because they were so painful. She was in constant pain. And yet Fern was somehow still known for her joy, a joy that, given her circumstances, could only have come from Jesus, filling her heart with his goodness and love. She always had a smile on her face. She was known for giving out candy, for telling jokes, and for intentionally getting to know the kids and youth at her church, all of them. And when she was no longer able to walk, she would sit in her wheelchair in the church library and people would come to see her and spend time with her. And when she was no longer able to leave home, she had all kinds of visitors, and the youth group would stop by and shovel her snow or just say hi. The joy of Jesus Christ is contagious. People wanted to see more of Fern and hear more from her. Does that sound too good to be true? Johnny Erickson Tata is the theologian I turn to most often when suffering comes up. She was a star athlete in her teens, but at age 17, she broke her spine in a diving accident and became a paraplegic. More recently, in her 60s, she was diagnosed with cancer. And she writes this, she says, whether we experience suffering because of our own mistakes or through the actions of a wicked person or due to sickness or some catastrophe of nature, these all fall under God's sovereignty. God permits what he does not approve of. He doesn't approve of my spinal cord injury or my cancer, but in his sovereignty, he allowed them. God remains in charge. So why would God permit suffering then? The short answer is that we really don't know. The Bible teaches that as Christians, we will have trouble, that suffering is inevitable, but that it does not come from God. And yet God permits it because out of it, he will bring what is good. And if you accept that truth, then you are left facing the true God of the Bible because the true God of the Bible, you cannot control. He is a mystery for all that we strive to understand in faith. But as you look to him in whatever you're going through right now, your pain, the adversity you're facing, as you wrestle with him in it, and as you come to trust him with your suffering, to give it to him, he promises to bring you through it and to show you his glory. In Christ, God went ahead of us in suffering. Even more, he, re he died to remove the curse that we sing about in this Christmas carol. In Romans 5, we read, just as sin and sorrow entered the world through one man, and that's a reference to Adam in Genesis 3, and just as death entered the world through sin, how much more did God's grace come in the gift of the one man, Jesus Christ, and overflow to the many? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And later in the New Testament, Peter says, your trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. And so he's saying, both Paul and Peter there are saying that even if you don't feel the joy or exude it the way that Judith's Sunday school teacher did, you will nonetheless enter into it forever as you seek Jesus in your suffering. And that is God's promise to us. The last stanza of Joy to the World points us to the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. It's the fulfillment of all the longing in the Old Testament, and it's laid out for us in the first chapter of the Gospel according to John. The curse of the previous verses of this song were described uh, in Genesis 3. But to deal with that, John goes back to the very beginning of the Bible and the connection between Genesis 1 and John 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And then he goes on to say, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus We sing in this Christmas carol, Jesus rules the world with truth and grace. He makes the nations prove, and that means they will test it. The nations will discover it in the end. That's the waiting that Advent teaches us. We've talked about this, the already not yet of Advent. Jesus has already come, but his promises, his kingdom is not yet fulfilled. And so we end the carol by singing of the wonders of his love. And we get to sing it three times. And we're going to sing it now. So if the, as the worship team comes up, I want to say joy to the world, joy to you, joy to me. Thank God for Jesus Christ in whom we have the gift of joy. Joy.